and Happy New Year's Eve. Uh, I think this might be becoming a tradition. Last year I, I preached after Christmas on uh, New Year's Day. This year I get the honor to preach on New Year's Eve. For those of you that are visiting, my name is Jerry Calandrilla. I am not Pastor Jared Von Camp. Uh, for those that uh, are visiting, please come back next week whenever Pastor Jared is back. I'm sure he will do a much better job than what I will do this morning. But I am blessed to serve as one of the elders at, at Christ First Church. Uh, Jared and his family are traveling, and I'm sure they're, they're visiting relatives out east. Um, so I will be filling in again this week. So if I preach, I guess, next year, the Sunday after Christmas, I, I guess then that would be a solidified tradition, right? And then going forward. Uh, you might also remember those that were here last year. I had a New Year's resolution to preach one sermon in 2023. I am now preaching two sermons in 2023, so that makes me an overachiever. So Richard, I know you would be proud. Uh, so anyway, but throughout Advent, we're, we're technically still in the Christmas season. Throughout Advent, Pastor Jared has focused his sermons on the prophesy, prophecy of Isaiah as he taught on hope, love, joy, and peace. Uh, I thought it fitting today that as we come to the last few days of the Christmas season to actually stay in the Old Testament with one of Isaiah's contemporaries, uh, who is Micah. But before we dive into the text, would you join me in a brief prayer? Father, we thank you for just how amazing your love is for us. We thank you for the, the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that is found in the Christmas season. And although for, for much of culture, for, for much, much of us in here, the Christmas season might end on December 25th, but we know, Lord, that uh, your coming is the beginning of the story. Uh, it's a story that, that hopefully will last all throughout the year and all throughout our lives. As we hear your word preached this morning, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to love, and head knowledge to understand. I pray, Lord, if there's any, any wrong information that comes out of my mouth, I pray that you would close the ears of those that are in here. Uh, and may it only be your word uh, that, that sinks in and that is soaked in by everyone listening this morning. Uh, may you bless our time of worship this morning and bless our day as we go about finishing out 2023 today. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So when Pastor Jared asked me to give the sermon and continue this tradition a couple weeks ago, I, I really had no clue what to preach on. As a matter of fact, I was a little bit surprised that, I, that he would ask me again. Uh, Richard had volunteered to, to do it, but thank you, Richard, for saying, well, ask Jared if he would do it, and, and I appreciate the opportunity once again to do this. Um, I did throw out all kinds of ideas for a sermon uh, to my lovely wife, Lauren. Uh, many of them she looked at me with the, the pierced lips that she often does give me, like, are you sure you want to do that? Uh, you, you have the opportunity to do a lot of things. And with the close of 2023 and the beginning of 2024, with all the wonderful nuggets that will begin and be happening in 2024, especially with the presidential election and everything else, there are a lot of things that I could have gone with. Um, I could have given you a catchy slogan on, you know, how to establish a good New Year's resolution by following Richard's uh, words of not having a resolution. 
we could have done a lot of things, but instead I chose to stay with what Jared has been actually teaching on with the book of Isaiah. Uh, for those of you that, that do not know this, I am a huge fan of the Old Testament. Uh, it is absolutely amazing how a lot of the narratives within the Old Testament tie together. Uh, my most favorite part of how the passages, books, and chapters in the Bible just seem to come out of nowhere for the sole purpose of revealing to us our future king. Um, take Genesis 38. Genesis 38 is, is, is right after Genesis 37, right? That's a, a novel idea, but Genesis 37 begins the conversation about Joseph. Uh, you know, and, and it's looking at, it discusses Joseph's dreams, how he's sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites ahead of, that were heading to Egypt. And then as we transition to chapter 38, you would think it would continue with something about Joseph, but instead the heading is about Judah and Tamar. And I'm not gonna go into any great detail about the account of Tamar and Judah. Uh, the, the spoiler alert is that Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. But in that story, Tamar and Judah have a son named Perez. Perez was a twin. Uh, Perez's name meant breach. But here's the story about Perez and the birth of Perez right in the middle of the account of Joseph. And then we transition to, verse, or to chapter 38, and then we're right back into Joseph again. And it's easy to gloss over Judah and Tamar, and you might even ask yourself, why on earth is this chapter in the middle of the story of Joseph? But then we get to the book of Ruth, and in the book of Ruth, which is a beautiful love story, but is much more, uh, much more than just a love story, it ends with a genealogy. And in that genealogy, we read that Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. What seems at first glance is insignificant histories until you realize just how significant the insignificant truly is. So over the past four weeks, Pastor Jared has led us through the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah for Advent. During the first week of Advent, he taught us about the hope in the anointed king that would be identified as a shoot from the stump of Jesse in Isaiah 11. The second week, we learned about how God was delighted to redeem us through Christ, who was wounded for our transgression and sin, prophesied in Isaiah 53. The third week in Advent, we looked at Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, in, we went, in which we learned of the joy in the ministry of Christ to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me, Christ, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And finally, last week, we learned from Isaiah 9 that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So back to the humbling question that Lauren asked me during the Advent, uh, that Lauren asked me, what are you gonna preach on? Her response was, why don't you preach a sermon that you need to hear yourself? That can be a dangerous proposition for a lot of people because I think 
a lot of us could pick a lot of different sermons to preach on. But it was actually my Truth For Life daily devotional that is by Alistair Begg, and some of you might know I, I have a huge affinity for Alistair Begg. But the title of this particular devotional was God's Way. The text he used was Micah 5.2 that Jacqueline read this morning. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth of old from ancient days. The text itself is an excellent text for the Advent season. And as we look ahead to Epiphany, the fulfillment of Micah 5.2 in Christ is the reason we celebrate our glorious salvation. But it was a sentence in the devotional that stood out to me. And the sentence read, yet the significance of Bethlehem is found in its insignificance. And that's the message that I needed to hear on New Year's Eve as we look to the new year that dawns. This is the message that the world needs to hear. And let's start by taking a look at Micah. Micah, whose name means who is like the Lord, prophesied in the 8th century BC as a contemporary of Isaiah. I'm sure there were a lot of churches throughout the, this country and throughout the world that, that used Isaiah as the main text for Advent. Um, but Micah is considered to be a minor prophet within the contemporary of, of Isaiah. What a contemporary essentially means is that he was around, his ministry was happening at the same time as Isaiah. The term minor prophet, though, does not designate that Micah is not a significant book within the Bible. Rather, the term minor prophet just means it's shorter. Um, for someone like myself who does not enjoy reading as much as the next person, uh, I like the shorter minor prophets. It takes a little bit less time to actually read through it. Uh, that's my confession of sin to you this morning. But if you look at both Micah 1.1 and Isaiah 1.1, both begin with the vision of judgment during the time of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah concerning Samaria and Judah. So at the time of Isaiah, the two kingdoms of Israel are not together. There, you have the kingdom in the south, um, Make, let me make sure I got that right. The kingdom of the south, which is Judah, and the kingdom of the north, with, which is Samaria. Micah is identified by his hometown of Moresheth, which was a small town about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem, which implies that he would have been an outsider. The time period is a difficult one for Israel as the Assyrians dominated the Near East, the northern kingdom of Israel had been gradually overrun by the Assyrians, and the capital of Samaria would fall during Micah's ministry. But much of Micah's ministry was focused on the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. While the northern kingdom was being overrun by the Assyrians, Judah, under the leadership of Ahaz, allied himself with the Assyrians and modeled worship at Jerusalem after Assyrian practices. During this time, a shocking contrast had developed the, between the extremely rich and the oppressed poor due to the exploitation of Israel's middle class by greedy landholders. Micah 2.1.3 reads, Woe to those who divide wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it. 
because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house and a man in his inheritance. Consequently, God raised up Assyria and his wrathful rod against his sinful people. Now, once again, if I pause there, we could go down all kinds of different rabbit holes, and I could preach a glorious sermon uh, regarding all kinds of different things that 2024 has in store. Uh, but I am going to resist the temptation um, because this is about our king and our king's coming, and we'll get to that. Because the first four chapters of Micah discuss the judgment and degradation of the two kingdoms, much like uh, in Isaiah. But then in chapter 5, we have an interesting twist. So in chapter 5 begins, as Jacqueline read, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the, the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The book of, Isaiah, or the book of Micah takes an, an amazing turn, and much like Genesis 38, it's the wait, what, moment of Micah. Chapter 5 pivots to, a wonderful, to the wonderful news of a promised Messiah. And a good question to ask when reading the Old Testament is, where is Jesus in the text? I'm going to let the Reformation Bible uh, answer the question for me. And it reads, Through the book, though the book of Micah is best known for its prediction of Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah, significant information is also disclosed about his original origin and mission. His birth in Bethlehem is to points to his having an obscure start to life, much like we learned in Advent in Isaiah 53. It designates him as the royal descendant of a Davidic lineage, much like we learned in Isaiah 11. Unlike other kings of David's dynasty, he will come forth for me. That is, he will act in accordance with all that God stipulates, and so will completely fulfill the divine purpose, Isaiah 61. He will be able to achieve this because he will carry out his mission in the strength of the Lord, Isaiah 9. As a ruler in Israel that is over the covenant people, his coming would be the basis for their return. He would provide complete peace for his people. Michael also unveil, Micah also unveils a mysterious superhuman origin for the for the Messiah, and that he is from of old, from ancient of days. When the prophet Micah announced this, this hope for a discouraged people, that this promised Messiah would not be coming from Jerusalem, the royal city for, people, for the people of Israel, 
Rather, the king would be born in Bethlehem, a small, unexpected town, the the same town that hundreds of years earlier, the leaders would greet Samuel, a previous prophet, but they would greet Samuel trembling as he came to sacrifice the Lord. Samuel invited Jesse in order for Samuel to anoint Jesse's son, David, as king over Israel. And what's interesting about David, he was the most insignificant of Jesse's sons at the time. So back to Alistair Begg, one of the things that he talked about in the devotional again was that Jerusalem was the most prominent city in Israel. It was the city of the great King David, the location of the temple and the primary focus of God's people. Bethlehem would not have been on anyone's radar. It was too little to be among the clans of Judah. It wouldn't have made their top 100 list and certainly wouldn't have been in their top 10. Yet the significance of Bethlehem is found in its insignificance. Thinking about the rest of the Bible story, we realize that this makes perfect sense. This is how God works. When Goliath taunted the people of Israel, the strong and brave soldiers of Israel fled. Instead of using these great soldiers, God used a small, insignificant shepherd boy from Bethlehem, of all places, with five stones and a sling to deliver God's people. When the good news of the the Messiah's birth came, we might have expected the cultural elite of the day would have been the first to hear of it. But instead, God brought the news to a few insignificant shepherds. This is God's way. To add what Pastor Begg says, when the, to add to what Pastor Begg had said, when the time came for God to send Jesus as a baby, the vessel he chose was a poor, unmarried teenage girl. He chose a girl and her betrothed, a poor carpenter, to parent the child, Jesus. Scripture is full of anecdotes about God using the insignificant according to the world's standards and using them for the most significant of his purposes. As we close out 2023 at midnight tonight, many will look ahead to the new year with great anticipation. Some of us will look ahead to the new year with great anticipation that 2023 is coming to a close because for some, 2023 was difficult. For some, it was a great year and you're looking forward to an even better year next year. Our culture tends to encourage each of us to set goals and resolutions that allow us to be our best selves in the here and now. I wonder how many of our goals are set in order to increase our own significance in the community and the world around us. Yet throughout the Bible, God used what seemed to be rather insignificant people and places for his glory and his purposes. But the most significant event in the Bible occurred in one of the most insignificant places. This seemingly insignificant birth would become the most significant birth for mankind. For the word would become flesh and dwelt among us. Alistair Begg again states, those who dismiss the message of the Bible often stumble over the fact that God's answer for the world lay in a baby who was born in obscurity. 
This is not a message that anyone vent. Yet it was into this insignificant place that the Messiah came to rule. The one who lay in a Bethlehem food trough was the one with a never-ending kingdom which surpassed all other kingdoms. And back to the beginning of the sermon, I told you that Lauren suggested I preach a sermon that I needed to hear myself. I confess that it is a daily struggle of mine to seek the spotlight of the world for myself. Uh, Even when I put this sermon together, I constantly thought about how you all would be impressed with the words that are coming out of my mouth, about how great of a speaker I would be. Um, The difficult part was I put too much emotional capital in trying to impress you all. And that's no offense to any of you, because it's not about bringing the spotlight to me. Rather, it's about allowing the the word of God to speak for itself. As a result of seeking after my own significance, I struggle with anxiety. Um, Worry will take hold any time that you strive for that significance. The promises of this long-expected Messiah who would take away the sins of the world and through whom I became an heir of the kingdom of God become an afterthought because I choose significance over trusting Christ. I needed to hear this message preached. But recognizing the pattern of God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow enables us to recognize the Messiah who has now come. The reality is that the ruler that would come from Bethlehem in verse 2 of Micah would die a humiliating death on a cross. To fulfill scripture, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is God's way, and it always has been. One of my favorite contemporary Christian bands is Casting Crowns. And a song that I have as my alarm in the morning when I wake up every morning is their song, Nobody. I love the lyrics of the song. They go, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not-quites, with all the the never-get-it-rights. But it turns out they're the ones you've been looking for all this time. If you consider yourself of little little importance, little ability, and little influence, then be encouraged. For God works through insignificant people in insignificant places. Take encouragement from the words of John the Baptist. He must increase, and I must decrease. And as we look ahead to 2024, may we look for ways in which Christ can increase his significance in us. And he shall be our peace. And to close with the last lines of nobody. So let me go down, down, down in history as another blood-bought faithful member of the family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Because I'm just a nobody 
trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. May he be significant to Christ First Church in 2024. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We, we thank you for the fact that our King is on his throne. Our King Jesus, who came from what would have been very insignificant, uh, insignificant circumstances, became the most significant event in human history. We celebrate the birth of Christ, and we're getting ready to celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. For it is through the death of Christ and his rising again that we are promised heirs of his kingdom. As we depart 2023 and look ahead to 2024, Lord, may we look for opportunities in this world, in this community, in our families, in our own lives, that we may allow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to increase and become the most significant aspect of our lives. And as we follow the words of John the Baptist, let us decrease as Christ increases. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.